0: I'm Joel Parker, and this is How on Earth, the show that makes you smarter. Today is Tuesday, August 27th, 2013. Coming up, we talk about the Noise Pollution Workshop happening today in Denver.
1: People don't like noise. It bothers them. It annoys them. It interferes with their activities. And now we're learning it causes health impacts.
0: begin with a look at some of the recent news in science. Anyone who body surfed or sailed on some ocean this summer or dines on Alaskan salmon or other marine fish should also appreciate this fact. The oceans absorb more than a quarter of human-caused carbon dioxide emitted to the atmosphere. They form a natural carbon sink. Without it, the Earth would now be a lot warmer. But as atmospheric CO2 levels soar, the oceans are absorbing so much CO2 that the pH levels are dropping. As CO2 dissolves in water, it forms carbonic acid and causes the pH value of the oceans to drop. This trend is wreaking havoc on coral reefs and many sea dwellers. But until recently, the overall extent of these changes on marine animals has been largely unknown. A new study suggests that While most animal species investigated are affected by ocean acidification, they are all affected differently. The researchers analyzed data from 167 studies on the reaction to the ocean acidification of five animal taxa, corals, crustaceans, mollusks, vertebrates, such as fishes, and endoderms, such as starfish and sea urchins. The team found that corals... Echinoderms, and particularly mollusks, react very sensitively to a decline in the pH value. By contrast, only higher concentrations of CO2 would appear to have an impact on crustaceans such as the Atlantic spider crab or edible crab. However, the sensitivity of the animals to a declining pH value may increase if the sea temperature rises simultaneously, according to the researchers. In order to classify these results, the scientists used CO2 emission scenarios on which the World Climate Report is based. The study was conducted by biologists at the Alfred Wegener Institute, Helmholtz Center for Polar and Marine Research in Germany. Sierra Nevada Corporation, a local company in Louisville, Colorado, is developing a shuttle-like reusable spaceship to carry people and cargo to low-Earth orbit. The spaceship is called Dream Chaser. Last week, they successfully completed a full-scale captive-carry test. The test, in which the Dream Chaser was carried under an air crane helicopter, was conducted at NASA's Dryden Flight Research Center in Edwards, California. The captive-carry test was performed in order to test and validate several of the Dream Chaser's systems and subsystems prior to an upcoming free-flight test. The software tested included flight computer, guidance, navigation and control, aerosurfaces, and the landing gear and nose skid, which were deployed during flight. In May of last year, they performed a similar but less extensive captive-carry test just down the road at Rocky Mountain Metropolitan Airport in Broomfield, Colorado. During last week's two-hour test, the helicopter picked up a test version of the Dream Chaser flight vehicle in it a distance of three miles over a dry lake bed at a maximum altitude of about 12,000 feet. The spacecraft followed the projected path it will fly during the future approach and landing tests at Dryden. Data obtained from the test will provide valuable information about the Dream Chaser hardware and ground operations and paves the way for the free flight tests at Dryden this fall. The Sierra Nevada Corporation is working with NASA to develop Dream Chaser, plan to launch atop an Atlas V rocket through NASA's Commercial Crew Development Round 2 and Commercial Crew Integrated Capability Initiatives. New commercial spaceflight capabilities that are being developed by NASA partners through these initiatives eventually could provide launch services to transport NASA astronauts to the International Space Station from U.S. soil. At the current time, the only way astronauts can be taken to the space station is on Russian launch vehicles, though cargo can also be delivered to the space station not only by the Russians, but recently also by Japan and by U.S. company SpaceX with their Dragon spacecraft. And speaking of space exploration, on this day in history, in 1962, NASA launched the Mariner 2 spacecraft that became the first successful flyby of the planet Venus. It passed within 35,000 kilometers of the planet and took measurements of the atmosphere and surface. Mariner 2 was the first spacecraft to travel to another planet. Also, September 1st will be the anniversary of when in 1979, Pioneer 11 became the first spacecraft to reach the planet Saturn when it flew within 21,000 kilometers of the cloud tops of that planet. The Pioneer spacecraft was used to investigate the rings and determine if a trajectory through the rings was safe for the upcoming Voyager visits. You are listening to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Joel Parker. And right now, we're sharing the songs of birds recorded in quiet places in Boulder County. We're doing this to prepare you for an opposite topic, noise pollution. Today, you can attend a free workshop titled Noise Management in Communities and Natural Areas. The workshop is at Denver's Marriott City Center from 10 a.m. until 8 p.m. tonight. As a sneak preview, How on Earth's Shelley Schlender talked with research scientist Larry Feingold. Dr. Feingold has authored or contributed to over 80 publications about noise, including the U.S. National Academy of Engineering report titled Technology for a Quieter America and the World Health Organization report burden of disease from environmental noise. Now here's Shelley talking with Dr. Feingold, starting with two sources of annoying noise, lawnmowers and traffic.
2: Does noise just bother us a little bit or is it actually a big deal?
1: It actually is a big deal. Some of the effects of noise are not as bad as what the common public thinks. Some are worse than what the public thinks.
2: What is an example of something that is not as bad as we think it is?
1: Nighttime sleep disturbance, particularly around airports. Mine and many other people's work has shown that the sleep disturbance that actually happens is not as great as what we initially thought it was.
2: Is it more like if a bell is going on at a lighthouse, people get used to it?
1: Used to it. That's the right phrase. The human brain is remarkably adaptable. If you live near an airport or a train, railroads, you really do get used to the noise very quickly, and you just tune it out.
2: And I've heard that some people, if the train stops blowing its whistle at 3 a.m. at night... That wakes them up because they're used to it.
1: Because they're used to it. Or people who come from large cities like New York, where they're used to a high level of noise, and they come to a conference in a quiet place like Denver, they can't sleep at night because it's too quiet. So it's a very complex issue. Some of the problems are not as bad as what the general public thinks that they are. Some are worse.
2: Some are worse. What is worse?
1: The health effects of noise.
2: Is that even if you get used to the noise?
1: Correct, because your autonomic nervous system functions independently of your brain. So even though you may not be aware of it, your body is being affected by things that that impact you from your environment. If
2: the autonomic nervous system, the part that is not awakened by noise doesn't wake up, is it still affected, say, by airplane noise?
1: That is correct. So we've got EEG studies of people when they're sleeping. That shows that the body is still reacting to the noise even though you're not waking up.
2: Even though you're not waking up, are there indications that there is a stress response to noise?
1: That is exactly what it is. It's a generalized stress response. It primarily affects your cardiovascular system leads to high blood pressure, and that's a precursor to all kinds of other more serious heart problems like arrhythmias, sudden cardiac arrest, strokes.
2: So somebody may be sleeping through the night next to the airplane or next to the train, but their autonomic nervous system, the unconscious side of their body, is not really sleeping and resting. It is stressed.
1: Good quality sleep is extremely important for human functioning. The problem is that the autonomic system takes the inputs like noise while you're sleeping, so it's still reacting to these environmental stressors.
2: It's my understanding that stress is okay if you're really running from a tiger, but ongoing day-to-day low-level stress wears out a lot of parts of the body.
1: Stress is not always a bad thing. A moderate level of stress is beneficial to human performance, but what you don't want is a lifetime of constant bombardment by environmental stressors such as noise.
2: Okay, so we've talked about two kinds of stress from noise. One is whether it keeps you awake at night or not, and it turns out if you're around a noise, you get used to it and you sleep. But then there's that other kind of stress, which is the low-level stress that does come from living near an airport, living near a subway. What are some other kinds of noise pollution that are troubling for people?
1: Near the top of the list is interfering with speech communication
2: Oh, so like a noisy restaurant.
1: Yeah, that's one of my personal pet peeves, noisy restaurants. Environmental stressors like noise are not good for your digestive system. You would get much more benefit out of that meal and enjoy it a lot more if you could talk comfortably with the people you're sitting around the table with.
2: Is that because there's no way to make a restaurant be quiet?
1: Not at all. There's this popular conception that Noise is a ubiquitous part of modern society, and there's nothing that we can do about it. And that's just flat out not true. There are two different sides to approach the issue. One is from the engineering side, so carpeting and acoustical tiling on the ceiling like you see in this room. And the way the whole thing is designed to reflect... Uh, Sound is what makes this room quiet and why we're able to do this interview here in a quiet room. So it's the engineering side, and then there's the noise policy side. On Tuesday, I will give a talk on a set of tools that are available to local communities like noise ordinances, building codes, things like that, that local communities can use to manage and control their own noise environment in the city. I currently chair an American National Standards Institute, ANSI, a standards working group which is developing guidance on how to write a local noise ordinance so that The majority of cities across America can have noise ordinances that are at least a little bit similar to each other. Right now they're all very, very different, so we're trying to standardize how local noise ordinances are written.
2: And how does it work once a noise ordinance is in place?
1: It's one thing to write a good quality noise ordinance. It's a totally different arena to try and enforce it. So states and cities have to dedicate people to doing the noise control function.
2: In other words, you have to have noise police.
1: Basically, yeah.
2: Is that popular with people?
1: Government intervention in our lives via regulations and laws is often not popular in every arena. But if you don't like to have cars running up and down the street with large boom boxes on their radios that bothers everybody on the sidewalk other than asking them to voluntarily keep noise at a minimum in communities. you can let via public education programs. The only other alternative is through regulations.
0: This is How on Earth, the show that makes you smarter. I'm Joel Parker, and this is some soothing sounds of birds before we go into part two of this interview on noise pollution. You can go to a free workshop on noise management today at Denver's Marriott City Center from 10 a.m. through 8 tonight. Now let's continue with the interview with Shelley Schlender talking to noise expert Larry Feingold, starting with the problem of noisy restaurants
1: so uh, enjoying the new restaurant a nice location but uh, way way too noisy it's really hard to hear I say there's too much glass exposed glass and um, I think they could do some things here to make it uh, easier to hear
2: well how about those restaurants can you just suggest to a restaurant that business might actually be better if it doesn't always have to be so noisy
1: I don't personally know of hard data to prove that point. My gut-level feeling is that it would be beneficial to the business. For me, it's almost impossible to go to a restaurant and not run across somebody in that restaurant who is complaining about the noise.
2: Restaurant people will tell me that they think that they get more business if it sounds very busy.
1: I don't agree with that at all. I don't agree with that at all. I think it's the quality of the food and the service that people go for. They don't go f- for a high noise level. Who would want voluntarily want that? And there are, you know, 100 different noise sources that can be controlled by engineering means, either voluntarily through the industry itself or via regulations if the industry... Uh, doesn't want to voluntarily do that. We've been very surprised at how much industry in general likes the idea of regulations, much more so than the general public does.
2: Oh, because regulations would level the playing field so that if they put in investments for regulating and slowing down noise or quieting noise, everybody has to do it, and it's not an unusual expense for them anymore.
1: Correct. It gives them a predictable environment in which to work.
2: Will, as part of this noise situation, can you talk with the airline industry about improving their intercom systems so that instead of having that awful tinny sound when the airline flight attendant is telling you to buckle your seatbelt, they actually have something that sounds okay?
1: Quality of audio systems on airplanes is one of my pet peeves. Railroad stations, bus stations, there are a lot of places where we use public announcement systems and not enough attention is paid to the quality of how that sound is being emitted. People tune out the announcement because they can't understand it to begin with.
2: Not only is it an echoey environment that isn't created to be acoustically comforting, but also the quality of the actual sound signal coming through is the worst kind of phone tinniness that there can be. And it's annoying.
1: It's annoying. When people ask, what's the problem with noise? The simple answer is people don't like noise. It bothers them. It annoys them. It interferes with their activities. And now we're learning it causes health impacts. And I specifically want to commend the research that's been coming out of Europe in the past 20 years as opposed to the lack of adequate research here in the U.S. Back in the 60s, 70s, and early 80s, the U.S. was the world's leader in both noise effects research and noise policies. The Office of Noise Abatement and Control at EPA was defunded in 1982, and we basically stopped our research program here in the United States.
2: Well, I think about some other countries like Europe and Japan, subways, for instance, where instead of having metal wheels on the cars of subways, in some countries they use rubber tires because it's quieter.
1: Absolutely so. And if other countries can do it, we can too. And then another
2: example, one friend told me that he suspects that the kind of tires put on sports utility vehicles have actually increased road noise because they're big tires and they have a lot of tread and grooves on them.
1: Correct. So a lot of countries are experimenting now with a different type of tire and a different type of road surface and are seeing amazing results. You throw money and engineering technology and appropriate policies at it, you can really improve the quality of life of human beings.
2: It's nice to improve the quality of people's lives, but is there an economic payoff to reducing noise?
1: The recent National Academy of Engineering report called Technology for a Quieter America, a seminal report coming out of Washington, D.C., and in in National Academy of Engineering, one of their main thrusts is that our noisy products, from dishwashers to lawnmowers to tractors trains. We can't sell our noisy products in foreign countries. The country next door has got the same product with a lower noise level. It is impacting the United States tremendously economically in terms of our global competitiveness.
2: Do you mean that there are places where they know how to make a quiet vacuum cleaner and a quiet lawnmower?
1: Oh, absolutely so. The vacuum cleaner story is an interesting one, though, because that was tried, I think it was by Hoover, about 20 years ago here. And they made this incredibly powerful but super quiet vacuum cleaner. And it didn't sell because the public listened to that and said, well, it can't be any good if it's not noisy. Noisy tells me that there's a powerful motor in there. So they stopped producing it. So the, there are some public relations issues that need to be addressed. And the same with hair dryers. There are lots of super quiet hair dryers around the world. I could
2: have a hand hair dryer that I yeah. used to dry my hair and it wouldn't be sounding like I'm next to a jet engine.
1: Absolutely so. Almost all the products in my home personally are low noise products. Dishwashers is another great example. Bosch from Germany, you go around the corner from the kitchen, and you can't even tell that it's running. So I mentioned the National Academy of Engineering report. Very, very good work. But I also want to mention the recent reports on the effects of noise, especially on human health, that are coming out of the World Health Organization. That is the world's premier society or organization that, that looks at health effects issues across the board. And they have several major reports that have come out that were having difficulty convincing Americans and the American government to adopt because it was done predominantly by European researchers. So we need to either do the research ourselves or say, hey, the World Health Organization, that's pretty prestigious. And we've got other things out of Europe, like the Environmental Noise Directive from the European Commission has been out for like 10 years now. They are far ahead of us, both in terms of research and policies.
2: You mentioned that the way that you started into all this research is because you were looking at the noise of jet engines Has there been any progress in making those engines of airplanes quieter?
1: The Federal Aviation Administration and NASA have very, very strong noise technology research programs. The amount of noise coming out of jet engines has decreased.
0: Thanks to Shelley for that interview. Larry Feingold believes that if we had less noise pollution, we might hear more sounds like this. You can learn more about noise management today at the free noise workshop about noise in communities and communities in natural areas. It's happening today at the Marriott City Center in Denver from 10 a.m. until 8 tonight. That's all for this edition of "How on Earth. Our executive producer is Susan Moran. This week's show was produced and engineered by Joel Parker. Additional contributions by Susan Moran. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional Music Today by Steve Jones, produced by Shelley Schlender. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have any questions or comments, please call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Joel Parker.